This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. What time did the, uh, the Vikes play again? Oh, well, they don't. Same time as the Packers play? Okay. <laughs> well, we're Paul and Lisa Bowden. Uh, we are on the guest services team, the speaking team. Uh, we're privileged to speak to you today about marriage. Uh, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are visiting Zach out in uh, Idaho and uh, visiting Zach and his newly, or new fiance. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, so they're going to do some traveling as well, and uh, we'll cover for them next week too. We'll talk about marriage next week as well. So um, we're going to talk about God's purpose for marriage, God's plan, um, all the awesome things that God has in store uh, directly from creation. We might even meddle just a little bit in uh, the way we raise our kids in preparing them to be able to have uh, great marriages. So, uh, and, and marriage might sound like a kind of a, a small focus because over half of Americans are not married anymore. And, uh, but we're going to talk to all marriages, all shapes and sizes, all phases. Uh, we'll talk to pre-marriage um, couples and we'll talk to young people open to marriage uh, and etc. So I think it'll, it'll bless you hopefully. So uh, my wife is going to start. Her name is Lisa. And uh, she's my soulmate, my life partner in every way, and I'm so happy that God put us together. I can't talk about her too long or I'll start to cry. But uh, yeah, it's been 29 years since uh, we've been married, 29 plus, we're going on 30. And I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at what we've been through and the challenging times. And she is so um, steadfast, loyal, She's um, just has the highest character, and I trust her with my life. She's inspirational, and not only that, she's beautiful too. So please give a hand to Lisa Bowden. We didn't practice that part. <laughs> well, we are um, blessed to be up here, so thank you. Uh, one of our favorite things to do, both socially and ministry-wise is sitting across the table from a young couple who is serious about improving their relationship. And it just really energizes us every time after um, we've done, we do the, the premarital counseling and, and every single time we drive home and we are completely energized. So we, we really enjoy it. We, like you said, we are in our 30th year of marriage. So in August, it'll be 30 years. And I can honestly say that our marriage is better now than it has ever been. And I know there's probably some young people that have a hard time believing that, but it is absolutely true. So we're, tell you, we're here to tell you that it, that is possible, that it gets better over time as you grow into soulmates. Because soulmates are not found, they are developed over a lifetime. Marriage is the second most important relationship that we could ever experience, and it's second only to our relationship with the Lord. It is the highest form of human relationship. We can um, have a 100% chance of success in marriage. 
if we do it God's way. So we're here to bring you hope. Um, the reason that marriages fail in society today is because society has chosen to um, reject the word of God and his perfect way of doing things. But if we follow God's word, we can have a 100% chance of success. So again, we're here to give you hope. Um, let's pray for uh, the service here today. Father God, thank you um, for blessing us with your presence. Thank you that you love us so completely that we are able to love other people. Lord, thank you for um, just all the good things. Lord, you are so good and we are so blessed. And I pray that you would teach us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we want you to know that nothing that we say up here is, uh, has any condemnation attached to it. Uh, if, you, if you represent a marriage that has failed in the past or you're on your second or third marriage, that's okay. But we hope that it's your last and we hope that you fight for it. And there's plenty of resources around to help you do that. Um, if you're divorced and single, you know, I hope you're, you're believing God for a mate that can uh, give you just the, uh, the, the marriage of your dreams. Um, and so that's our prayer for you. And we're definitely not perfect. Our kids are right over there and they would, they would vouch for our unperfectness, right? <laughs> we didn't have to agree so fast. Um, so nobody's up here pointing fingers. Um, really, our heart is just to help people in marriage and to make them stronger, um, to take ground from the enemy, and especially in your, uh, your marriage, your family, and your kids. So I hope you hear our heart in that, is that we're for you. So as you all... Is this on? Okay. So as you all know, there's a lot of young um, parents in our church. And you may think that um, as a parent, little Johnny or Susie has a long time to wait before they think about um, finding Mr. or Miss Wright. And that is true. Um, they don't need to prepare, but parents, we need to prepare them for uh, their marriage someday in the future. So really, the parent's role in a young person's preparation for marriage cannot be overemphasized. We see it in three stages of a child's growth. And so the three stages that we're highlighting are primarily by age, but it goes um, as they go through life. And so we'll summarize with those three stages. You can kind of see that. First, as parents, we teach them character. Preparing this first or this very young generation for marriage starts with developing character now because when they get older, those um, young people will attract what they are. So developing character is key. And Proverbs 20, 11 says, all children show what they are really like by how they act. You can discern character. The second way is to show our kids God's way of doing marriage. So we want to model the kind of marriage that makes our kids want to get married, makes our kids excited to get married, or married, and a marriage that is fun and healthy, that's real, and that really brings out the best in the family. Just a, um, a strong marriage. And the, the kids will see that, and the kids do notice that. 
And also, they need to see mom and dad's relationship as the priority relationship in the home, not the mom to the child relationship or any other relationship, but that couple is the number one priority human relationship in the home. And that usually happens through the growing up years. And then the third way we prepare is to provide godly counsel through the relationship evaluation process. So as your kids get toward the mid or late teenage years or young adults, um, the, you are there to help them establish that relationship. Um, you're, you're there to help them evaluate that relationship. Um, the scripture in Proverbs 15:22, your plans will fall apart right in front of you if you fail to get good advice. But if you seek out multiple counselors, you'll watch your plans succeed. That scripture also says, a wise man has many counselors. And that time of young relationship, um, it can be a hard time for that couple to evaluate uh, if things are right, if, if there's um, a potential for marriage. And so in addition to getting parental counsel during that time, it's also wise to have um, godly counsels, counselors from Christians who love you, who know you, um, just to help you evaluate that relationship prior to engagement. And for anybody who's been um, engaged and married, you know that once the engagement happens, the focus typically moves from working on the relationship to planning a wedding. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty consuming. So identifying red flags during that time can be harder because they're focused on the wedding. And also couples are less motivated to address the red flags at that point because it's full steam ahead at that point. So, so why talk about this preparation process? Why talk about training our kids and as they go forward? And the reason is, is because there is no more devastating heartbreak than a broken intimate love relationship. Psychologists say that even death is less of a heartbreak than an intimate breakup. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And that is something that we have shared with our kids numerous times, our, our oldest four as they were growing up, is to guard your heart. And I don't even know if they 100% knew what that meant, but over time, hopefully they pondered it and and they're doing great, so. <laughs> but it's very important. And we'll expand on more of this, of this next week, but navigating the relationship evaluation time with extreme care, with transparency and honesty is vital to giving your marriage the best chance for success down the road. So now we're going to go all the way back to creation and look at why or the purpose of marriage. Because it's hard, it's hard to take two imperfect people and have one life together and really make it work well. Uh, so we'll look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the uh, generation, Genesis 1 is just a, a general um, overview kind of about how creation happened. Genesis 2 explains it better, where um, Adam was created, uh, he named all the fish, um, he, he couldn't, God couldn't find a, a suitable helpmeet for him, uh, so he put him to sleep, created Eve, etc. But the word God right there in verse 26 is actually translated from the Hebrew word Elohim. And any, any Hebrew word that ends in I am is masculine and plural. So the God is the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if I could have my three volunteers that I asked to be our Elohim representatives come up, please. I asked these guys to come up and I said, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to say anything, and I won't embarrass you. <laughs> so I hope I can keep my promise. We're gonna count on that. All right, can we have you guys back up just a little bit here and then face me side to side? And you are one, so get as close as is uncomfortable. Okay, so this is Elohim. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're all found in um, the account where Jesus was baptized and he went down into the River Jordan. He came back up. God the Son came back up out of the river and God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So we have all three there in that one passage. All right. Now, every, what they're going to do is it says that they're going to create man in their image. So this is the image that they're after when they create man. This is the image that they want to populate the earth. All right. Thank you. Can I have my Adam volunteer come up, please? I told Preston the same thing. This is my son, Preston. Give it, give it up for Preston, please. <laughs> Very generous to volunteer. So Elohim created Adam, and is this the image of that? Everybody, no. Uh, although it's kind of a trick question because Adam does, or he is a spirit, he has um, a soul, and he lives in a body. So he's a... a triune being too, but he doesn't look like that and he can't operate like that. So what did God do? Face me, Adam. God knocked him out. Good, close your eyes. Yeah, you just stay there. He took a rib from Adam and he made Eve. Can I have Eve come up? This is Lexi, my daughter-in-law. So you face him right here. So God made Eve and he, close your eyes, you're, you're knocked out. <laughs> so he opened Adam's eyes, presented Eve to Adam, and Adam said, whoa, man. <laughs> and God said, you're getting pretty good at this naming thing. <laughs> so Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now, uh, face them, please. Does this look like that? No, but it's getting there, it's getting close. And here's where we need to stop and do just a, a real quick word study because the role of Eve, I think, has been degraded over time. 
And I really believe in the, the, the order, the divine order of the family and the home, but it is only in the context of what we're about to di uh, discuss. So hopefully we can come to an agreement on this. Um, it is the help meet. That is what God created. In Genesis 2.18, he said, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable or suitable to him. Can I have you guys come up just a little bit more? Thank you. <laughs> and the two words, the two Hebrew words that are translated into help meet are, and I'm not, I'm not a scholar, I'm not very smart in this stuff, but I know where to go to, to, to find it. So I can at least pretend to be smart. The two words are azer, I think it's pronounced, E-Z-E-R, and konegdo. Azer and konegdo. Azer, we'll start with that, is used 20 more times in the Old Testament, and in each, each instance, it refers to God's own effort to, re, uh, to sustain his people or to rescue them. God uses that word of himself to help and rescue his people. Azer can be translated as power, strength, and rescue. So that's Eve, power, strength, and rescue. And all the women right about now said, amen. <clears throat> so I really want to encourage everyone not to ever think that because Ephesians 5 talks about uh, submission, and we'll talk about that next week, that this is a second-class citizen. Uh, and the young, young ladies, young girls, any women that are looking to get married, if you're single, do not, um, do not settle for someone who can't see the value that you bring to this relationship. Yeah. It's invaluable. Um, because, let's face each other again, if... If there's an attack coming from behind Adam, can he see it? No, but who can? His rescue, his strength. She can see it, and she can take care of it probably, or, or uh, you know, let him know about it at least. So the second word is konegdo, which means facing, toe-to-toe, face-to-face, or opposite. It can be translated like this. We can look at... Uh, Genesis 2.18 like this. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a saving power and strength facing him. Is that good news? Amen. Amen. Uh, it could also be translated, I will make him a rescue that looks him in the face. Now, this isn't the, the kind of uh, in your face like we Americans would say, you know, it's the context of, um, you know, somebody that's ready to fight in your face. It's, it's actually a, a position of intimacy. It's a position of closeness, of a perfect fit, and of completion. So that's very important. Uh, now, so one more time. Face the congregation again. Does this look like that? No. But God made a... Uh, Christ-like man, and in Romans 5, it says that um, Adam, or he is the first Adam. I'm going to look that up. Romans 5 says that he is a type of Christ. Adam is a type of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that the first Adam came and um, was given life bodily. 
The second Adam, who is Jesus, came, and he is a life-giving spirit. So we have a Christ-like man, a Holy Spirit-like woman. Remember, God referred to himself as Azer. He's the Holy Spirit come to help mankind. This is a representative of that. So we have a Christ-like man, a Holy Spirit-like woman, with God in the middle. Now, does this look like that? Yeah, and it, it can operate that way too. And this is what the devil hates to see. God created this so that his image would be perpetuated on the earth. And Adam was never tempted until this picture, this image came on the earth. Adam had to name all the animals he was on. I don't know for how long, uh, but he was never tempted until this came to the earth. And then the devil slithered in and tempted them and they sinned. So this is what the devil hates to see and it's why he attacks our marriages and it's why we need to stick together. Um, so I just want to encourage you and we're done with you guys. Thanks, you did wonderful. Give him a hand, please. <clears throat> yep, thank you. So marriage is a threat to Satan. Marriage in your family operating in God's kingdom principles is what God is after. And we as a society, and especially a church, need to know that we can't build society on shaky marriages. We don't have enough money in the world to pay for what happens because of broken marriages. And again, there's no condemnation. We're, we're not in control of some, some of the things that other people do. Okay, but we need a focus on what is important to God and marriage is the foundation of society. It's the institution that he loves and that he created. Yes. Amen. Okay, we're gonna go back to those three areas of preparing and the first was uh, building character. And so preparing for a happy, successful marriage starts very early by us as parents. So. This section is a message to parents. So let's think back to when our children were just learning to talk and some of you don't have to think back very long because your kids are there right now. Um, and they're playing with a little friend and they have their toys out and all of a sudden they both want the same toy. What is the first word that you hear come out in that scenario? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I was hoping people would participate, so. Um, and yes, I mean, we, we see that over and over, and of course we don't teach that to our kids. That just happens. They do things that are self-centered and prideful and disrespectful, but why does that show up? It's our sin nature. So we learn in Proverbs, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will try, drive it far away from him. And what does foolishness look like? According to Webster's Dictionary, it is, boy, that is hard to see. Apologize for that. Unwise, senseless, simple-minded, and unable to use judgment. So children have these qualities, and they must be trained in order to not have them. In Proverbs 13:24 It said who it says he who spares his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him promptly So the biblical term rod was used to guide, protect and direct sheep In Proverbs this translate to loving firm boundaries and correction 
So this process is security to a child, letting them know that somebody is in charge, that somebody loves them enough to say no sometimes, and that someone will guide them into all truth. And in doing this over time, it develops into a sense of direction to self-discipline, and most importantly, the assurance that that child is loved. So it's, very, it's important also to note in this process of discipline that it's not a cookie cutter approach. And any of you that have had multiple children, I'm sure can attest to that, is you, know, you may have the compliant child that absolutely loves to please and wants to do everything that mommy says to the very best and exact of their ability for the most part. And then you have the strong-willed child who has no interest in following or, or doing what you're asking, and usually it's the opposite. So we've had both in our, uh, in our first four that we raised, and so, but it's, it's important that you, that you know that it's not a cookie cutter approach, and really no one told us this, so, you know, it, there's a little bit of a learning curve in there as you go. And um, there will be consequences if you raise a compliant child like a strong-willed child or vice versa uh, because that strong-willed child, that future leader of, of anything, um, <laughs> will, uh, will need the strong hand of discipline in order to accomplish you know, what God has called them to do. So bringing up the subject of a strong-willed child, uh, most of you maybe have heard of Dr. James Dobson. He wrote a book called The Strong-Willed Child, and um, he said one of his most asked questions was um, if spanking is appropriate in discipline. So a little controversial in some people's circles, but I thought, well, controversy is no problem. Let's just address it. So... <laughs> um, now, and I say this toward parents only. This is for parents. Um, this is Dr. James Dobson's guidelines, whether it's appropriate um, or not. So he says spanking may be appropriate when a child is, number one, in an extremely unsafe situation. They make a quick decision and they're unsafe and you need to step in and correct it and help them remember. Number two, they're deliberately defiant and disobedient. And number three, they're severely disrespectful. So those are the cases where he says it may be important. And in the cases that it is not, may be appropriate. In the cases that it's not appropriate is when a child is simply being childish, when a child is impulsive, or the child has had an accident. And so there is a lot of information on that. And we are not here to say what you should do or what you shouldn't do. This is what um, Dobson's guidelines are, so I thought I would share those today. Um, training in obedience early is a key to developing character. And so we'll look at some more scripture to back that up. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he's, God is saying through Paul, Children, obey your parents. Now, the assumption here from, from reading this would that, that God would not require obedience of children without the expectation that the parents would teach them and require it and guide them into that because the children are maybe not reading Ephesians 6.1 as early as they need to be trained into 
obedience. According to Mike Mazzalongo from Bible Talk TV, he has a quote here, the ultimate purpose of discipline is so that we learn to discern good from evil and that we learn to obey. The obedience muscle or reflex needs training. We have to learn to obey because obedience is not hereditary. It is a learned skill. Wise Christian parents know that ultimately their children must not only learn to obey them, but more importantly, they must learn to obey God. So obedience or submission to authority is not optional. You know, we see those little battles every day, and the, the important time is when you're, when you're at home and when you can practice the obedience with gentle correction and all of those things as they're little... Um, it's exhausting. I just remember that. We had four kids under five, so I can completely agree, you know, agree with that and understand the exhaustion factor. Um, but don't, don't give up. Just keep plugging away, parents, because um, it's well worth it. Adult kids, mm, so fun. Amen. <laughs> In Ephesians, okay, so Ephesians 6.4 tells us... Um, to raise them up with discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of the Lord. And I love this part because um, I like the part that says counsel. Uh, why counsel? First of all, kids need a why so they gain understanding instead of feeling irritated or angry. And it's really easy to just tell them what to do, expect obedience, and not go any farther. But a why is very important to kids and they understand more than we think they do. And second, it helps children make the connection between their action and their consequence. That's why the other scripture says um, discipline promptly. So that connection is made. And then the third one is that it will help children grow their discernment and learn self-discipline. So really important. Um, I'm almost done here. In Colossians 3.20, let the children respect and pay attention to parents in everything, for this pleases our Lord. So if uh, loving obedience is ignored, it only gets harder. And for you as a parent, it gets harder, and it also gets more painful for the child if they grow and are not guided lovingly throughout that time. So, and the second part of the scripture says... And fathers don't have unrealistic expectations for your children, or they might get discouraged. And I found it interesting that he specifically noted that for fathers. Um, so fathers maybe have a tendency to have their expectations high for their kids. So, and perfection is not the goal. Um, if, I, if you're interested in looking deeper into this, Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 is an amazing guideline for discipline. Um, it's God disciplining us. And it just talks about the love of the Father, and it's, it's just beautiful. So if you are looking for a homework assignment, that's it. So just as a quick reminder, um, in the Word, in Proverbs 20, all children show what they are really like by how they act. You can discern character. So let us do our best to help prepare our kids to be the catch later in life. Possessing qualities to recognize a godly spouse and to attract a godly spouse. Amen. And we're talking about things that are really next to impossible. This uh, blending two lives, two imperfect lives together and making it work. 
raising godly kids. Um, there's no way that we could do it on our own. There's no way we could do it without God. Just like the illustration, it takes God in the middle to pull anything like this off. Uh, it, it really takes his strength, and that's why it's so cool, because he asks us to do things that we aren't capable of without his uh, presence and without his ability. Uh, and the same goes with having a relationship with him, um, fellowshipping with God, going to heaven, spending eternity with him. We can't do it without receiving from Jesus. And in Jesus' ministry, at the end of it, uh, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating great drops of blood, asking for God even to take this cup from him, if it be his will. But nevertheless, he said, not my will, but yours, the Father's will be done. And um, that's when Judas, uh, he took a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, and he came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And there were times in Jesus' ministry where uh, his ministry wasn't done, and he had to escape. He had to get out so he could continue to minister. They wanted to kill him because uh, he was starting a revolution, so they thought. Um, they thought that he was going to set himself up as king. Well, this came at the end of his ministry when he was ready to sacrifice himself for our sins. So as soon as he saw the Pharisees uh, with the lanterns, torches, and the officers and the troops, and Pastor Mike mentioned this last week, and it's been on my heart for some time as well. He went forward, Jesus went forward to meet them. And he said, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And as soon as he said that, they were blown over. They were knocked to the ground. That was a perfect opportunity for Jesus to escape, but he didn't. The word says that he waited. He waited for them to stand back up. I believe God is waiting here for us today. Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here waiting for us to receive him, whatever we need from him, uh, if it's salvation or anything else. So Jesus waited for them to stand back up, and he said again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you, I am he. So he basically said, go ahead, take me. But then he said, let these go. So Jesus is here today to receive you, to receive um, or to give you eternal life. And I just encourage you, if that's you, if that's something that you want to do, we'll pray together. And you pray a, a simple prayer, letting Jesus know your heart. And uh, the word says that he will come into you. So let's all stand, please. Can we have the worship team come forward? Thank you. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'll all pray together and you can pray with us. Let's pray corporately. Let's pray. Jesus... I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Heavenly Father, I give you my life and I ask you to take it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive your free gift of salvation. I exchange my sin for your righteousness. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that, then the word says that the Holy Spirit came into your heart and he will never leave you and never forsake you. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's word. 
My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.